1: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What is going on with yourself today on the What Difference Does It Make podcast?
0: Well, I probably should have done my vocal warm-ups before we started this conversation, but this is going to be a pretty rad talk, I think.
1: Okay, yeah, we, we. you say that because we're talking with Jason Thomas Gordon. And he has created, he's written, I don't know, do you create? I guess he created.
0: It's a creation for sure. A book is a creation,
1: but he has also written it. Okay, he created a written document of singers.
0: And what, what do we call this written document? It's called The Singer's Talk. The greatest singers of our time discuss the one thing they're never asked about, their voices. That's an intriguing
1: title. Like, okay, fine. So who did he talk to? Anyone we know? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, he talked to a few artists you may have heard of, of the 73 that he spoke to for this book. I don't know, it was Brian Adams and Joe Elliott, Sammy Hagar, Steve Perry, Willie Nelson, Aaron Neville, Stevie Nicks. Who are some of your favorite singers ever? Dave, I bet he's spoken to them too. He does this all in alphabetical
1: order. So I'm going to roll off just a few from, like, near the end of the book. Robert Smith of The Cure, Bruce Springsteen, Paul Stanley, Mavis Staples, Rod Stewart, Michael Stipe, Jeff Tweedy, Dionne Warwick, Tom York of
0: Radiohead. It's like he wrote this book for you.
1: I feel like he did. And so, thank you, Jason, for writing this book for me. Even though I'm not a singer, and both of us, we try to sing, right, Holly? And we <laughs> fail. It's not pretty. But, fail miserably. But it's a fascinating process. I mean, even if for us non-singers. Jason mentions that it's great for those aspiring singers, even for for you and I, the layperson.
0: So he asked all the singers the same questions about their voices, about their own favorite singers, about their vocal exercises. He kept it very interesting, even for non-singers.
1: If you're a fan of our podcasts, Clearly, if you're listening to it, you enjoy our insights. It felt like we had another person who was representing us in a way, if that makes sense. He has our musical curiosity of how the process happens. So, you know, once we found out about this book, we wanted to get him into our virtual studio. And the great thing about this book is that it goes to a charity. So Holly, please tell us where the proceeds go.
0: We should say that Jason Thomas Gordon is the grandson of Danny Thomas, who started St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Jason started his own campaign called Music Gives to St. Jude Kids. So his proceeds are going to Music Gives, which in turn goes to the kids of St. Jude. This is a great opportunity for you to
1: be charitable. So before you get charitable, give a listen to our episode. We're talking with Jason Thomas Gordon, and you could hear and see Jason Thomas
0: Gordon. What do we call
1: him? We're going to call him JTG. We'll call him
0: JTG from here on out. You will find him, outtakes, pieces from this interview on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make Podcast and on our social media at WDDIM Podcast. That
1: sounds wonderful. We love all that. So let's get right into it right now. This is Jason Thomas Gordon. He wrote a book and it's called The Singer's Talk on the What Difference Does It Make Podcast. There he is. Hi.
0: How you doing? And welcome. Good. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. Are you in LA? I am. Yeah. Will you
1: be going (laughs) later in your neighborhood to see the baseball project tonight?
0: No,
2: I didn't even realize they were playing.
1: Ah, I just read your Michael Stipe and you said you wanted to ask him about Mike Mills, who I agree, like background singer, a singer who adds a lot.
2: The secret weapon of the band. And not only that, I see Mike probably once a year because he he supports St. Jude and there's an event that he supports that w- that um, the hospital puts on and Patrick Warburton puts on and Mike's always comes and plays. And so I see him about once a year and I'm humiliated <laughs> that I'm going to see him and, and I haven't asked him about, I didn't ask Michael about his voice, but it was one of those situations where you're always rocking back and forth like Rain Man, hoping you get all the questions in. And <laughs> sometimes you have to get rid of some questions because you can feel that they're going to have to go soon. Yeah. So I just didn't get to it, and I, I, I'm so upset about it because I love his voice so much.
1: But then again, you're like, "Oh my God, I'm talking to Michael Stipe." I mean, how many of the, <laughs> how many Come of those on. moments? I mean, I'm you're looking down this list. I know, and it's just it's bonkers. So uh, yeah, so that was one of them. Yeah. I want. I don't know where to start. Well, I guess we're <laughs> talking we're talking about Michael Stipe. So the surprising part about that chapter was I know everybody hates their voice. Every, mm-hmm. everybody, I tell I teach a podcast class and that's the first thing I tell people is like, all right, you're going to open up the mic, you're going to talk and you're going to hate what you sound like. But that right. but that's what you deal with. But they don't realize the power of their voice and that was true with Michael Stipe until like 20 years into his career, which is bonkers, right? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah it's it's amazing. I mean, it was so rewarding almost. I felt so good as I was going through it. I was kind of like, these people are lunatics. Like this is, what are you talking about? You've got them, you know, when you're talking to Michael Stipe, you're like, what are you talking about? Your voice is incredible. But then as a whole, once you kind of like have the book in your hands and you're reading it as a whole and you kind of see how many of your heroes hate their own voice, And it was just so liberating and beautiful (laughs) i felt so much better about my it gave me freedom you know now i don't feel so alone Mm. you know some people are really passionate about my voice you know i'm like you're full of shit, but then they show up and they are so effusive when they come to the shows but there's that self-loathing that a lot of singers have where it's almost like you don't believe that they're being honest with you and now after doing this book i get it i'm like oh wow you know, it's such a natural thing for so many of us to hate our voices. So I'm happy that <laughs> just that alone made me feel so much better.
0: <laughs> I appreciate the honesty of some of the artists said that they, yeah. they don't mind hearing their voices. And that, yeah, that's honest.
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, I mean, for anybody I interviewed, I would say you should not hate your voice, you know, and there were people that were like, no, I love my voice. I'm cool with my voice. And it's like, God bless you. Then there's one, one less thing you have to worry about.
0: (laughs) Right. We should mention that the proceeds of this book are going to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital.
2: Yeah. My grandfather founded St. Jude in 1962 and, and it was, Something that was really important to him, he wanted to build a place where if your child had cancer or any other life-threatening disease, that they could come to this hospital. And it was such a dream at that point because cancer was a death sentence for children at, at that time. It just there was no cure. And so he wanted to lean into that and try to make a cure, find a cure. And especially in the South, where there were so many black children in the black community weren't being treated at all. And so he wanted to build it in Memphis. And this would be a place where it didn't matter what color you were, didn't matter what religion you were or how much money you had. If your child was sick, you come to us and we're going to pay for your treatment, your travel, your housing and your food. And when the hospital first opened its doors, 4% of children with the most common form of cancer survived. And now because of the research and protocols developed at St. Jude, that number is now 94%. And we lead the way that the world understands, treats, and defeats childhood cancer. So it's a really beautiful, incredible place with a beautiful mission. And when he passed away, that's why I started Music Gives to St. Jude Kids. I wanted to create a campaign that reached out to the music business and got them involved. And so that's what this book eventually became. So if you buy the book, all of my royalties go to St. Jude. So it's also, on top of everything else, it's a really beautiful cause to donate to.
0: So the in with the artists, because a lot of them, like you said, support and probably had already supported St. Jude. Was it yeah. easy to get in with them?
2: Nothing is easy. <laughs> Nothing is easy. <laughs> Nothing creative is easy. It's seven years. This took seven years. I mean, it was a really, really big labor of love and a lot of rejection and humiliation and a lot of artists that aren't in the book that I really tried to go after. But this is the, what the book was meant to be. And I'm so honored this got made at all. It was kind of both, you know, some artists didn't even realize at first that it was for St. Jude. And some just were stoked because they got to speak about a subject matter that nobody asked them about, which is the subheader of the book. The greatest singers of our time discuss the one thing they're never asked about their voices, because singers never get asked about their actual voice. Mm -hmm. So it was so great to hear all these singers be able to be like to say to me, thank you. You know, no one ever does this, no one ever asks us this. And then St. Jude, obviously a huge kind of like soft cushion to land on. Like, I don't know this guy, but the money is going to St. Jude. And look at all these other people that have been doing it, you know. And I, I think that was a lot of goodwill towards it in, in many areas. I got really lucky that it happened. So like with our podcast, it's usually the first one that's the hardest mm-hmm. one.
1: And then that kind of gets the ball rolling. Oh, this guy did. Yes. So, okay, it's all did. So who was your entry point?
2: Yeah, well, my entry point was Dion Warwick, who's a, who was a family friend, and my sister's named after Dion. so there's pictures of my you know baby sister sitting on Dion's lap as a child and stuff, and uh, my sister's older than me, but, you know, as a baby. And we actually just saw Dion live the other night, and the two Dion's reunited, and, it, you know, they're just so sweet together, like, it's just this cool little thing that they have. So I went to Dionne first, mm. which was incredible. And then Ozzy Osbourne, I'm friends with Jack Osbourne. So Jack helped me with Ozzy. And then I went to Tony Bennett and my grandfather was friends with Tony. So once I had those three, it's like a soul icon, you know, a jazz icon, a legend and a heavy metal icon. It's like, here's the Holy Trinity of what this book could be. And then I could kind of move forward and be like, Hey, look who I got, you Uh know? And then I started asking people I've worked with with Music Gives and people that have supported St. Jude. And, you know, I just started building this kind of arsenal and, and it took off from there.
1: St. Jude, we should say, your, your grandpa, Danny Thomas, yeah. what do you think of his voice? Did he ever discuss his voice? I know he, you know, he sang a little bit. And, uh, you know, yeah. did, you, did you see any of his prep work or anything? Did you get an idea of, of if he even enjoyed singing? <laughs>
2: Oh, God, he loves singing. Him and my grandmother are singers. My grandmother was an even better singer. She's an Italian little firecracker, redheaded little firecracker. So she's always singing. My mother was a singer. So I grew up around singing in my house. I never wanted to be a singer. I was the drummer. Singer was kind of the person we made fun of, you know, in the bands. And then. I kind of got forced to become a singer for my band and that's how this whole idea for this book started because i was like oh my god i've been making fun of everybody forever and this is actually horrible this is the worst job ever but my grandfather had a beautiful voice beautiful beautiful voice especially when he would sing in lebanese i was 18 when he passed away so he was like a father to me and we were we spent so much time together but I never saw him do anything when it came to his voice. You know, he was like an old school entertainer. You know, he was a stand-up comic and he would sing and all that. He just had all the skills. And I never saw him fret about it. I never saw anything. And and he and I actually did a play together where he sang. I played I like a young Einstein and he played Einstein's grandfather and he sang to me in the play, but I never saw him do I never saw him do anything, you know. He just was great at what he did.
1: You never got to go to Vegas and see him do Oh yeah. Thing? Oh you did? Yeah, okay. yeah.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to go to Vegas and see him with Sid Caesar and Milton Burrow and stuff like that. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh. crazy. But I never saw him preparing. I never went I was never yeah. backstage like watching his warm-up routine. You know, I was an idiot. You're a kid. You don't know anything. Now I wish I could talk to him about all of this stuff. I
0: think that's true with anybody in any, you know, any of our grandparents, right? A million questions to ask.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how you're kind of like when you're younger, you just, you're so kind of, laser focused on whatever you're up to and your own, you know, the world revolves around you when you're a kid and it's not until you get old. Like now I want to walk the halls of St. Jude with him and talk to him about the hospital and what it took to build that place. I mean, it's insane what it must've taken to build that place. And there's books you can read about it, but it would have been nice to be there with him. You know,
0: one of the many things that is so great about this book is that you are asking specific questions, To each of the artists, very specific questions, but they also get into some great stories about themselves and their experiences.
2: Yeah, what I wanted to do was do two things at once. I wanted to create a survival guide for singers, so like a resource guide. If you're on the road and you're a singer, you know, and you need help or whatever, you've got this book that's there for you. So, in that regard, I wanted to ask everybody the same question. So every singer got asked the same question in the book. And that way, if you're on the road and you start getting sick and you start to panic and you go, what do I do? You can quickly flip through and go, what does Bruce Springsteen do? Or what does Mavis Staples do or whatever? And so you'll always be able to find different answers from the same question. But then I also wanted to be the music fan that I am. And I'm here, I am getting a chance to talk to all these people who should not be talking to me at all. And, you know, ask them stuff that I'm interested in um, that's specific to their talent and their voice. So then each singer gets thrown in those kind of personal questions, too. So it's also fun for music fans to read because you're getting this like fun kind of exploration of sides of your favorite singers that you never got to see before.
1: The one story that
2: seems to be picked up by
1: everyone is the Tom York story of him. Just you always think of him as the sourpuss or, you know, just kind of dour. And you brought out this fun side of Tom. He shared this story that everyone seems to just going giddy about. Can you kind of tell that
2: story again? Well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, Tom... Yes, I think he, you know, I didn't, I don't think I brought anything out of Tom York, trust me. But I do think that, you know, as a Radiohead fan, there was those early years where he was going through what he was going through and facing fame. And I'm sure it was really tough for a myriad of reasons. But now, as you've seen in recent years, Tom's awesome. He's like Nick Cave, you know, the same way, like (laughs) Nick Cave's early career, he was super serious but now there's this like lightness that's been coming out more and more and, and a more openness. And Tom was definitely that with me and couldn't have been cooler. I mean, we had so many laughs and you know, he was so friendly and kind and generous. And I think that what you're talking about is a Rolling Stone article. There's a few things in there that are really amazing in that interview for sure. But I think that one of the the story that got picked up on was him and Johnny Greenwood got high at like towards the end of a show and came back out to play everything in its right place. And he couldn't remember the lyrics. And so he just kept going around in circles trying to figure out what the lyrics were. And I was making fun of him because I'm going, there's only three lines in the entire (laughs) song. And he goes, yeah, I couldn't do it. And he just had to get up and leave.
1: <laughs> something, something, sucking on a lemon. I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Willie Nelson told me a similar story where he just got so high that, you know, a, a few people tell really good getting high stories that where it affected their vocals in a funny way. I think Ann Wilson had a pretty good one, too.
0: Yeah, Willie Nelson, he said he just walked right off the stage. I just <laughs> yeah. can't do this.
2: <laughs> I think his quote was, this ain't the night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Were you able to do a lot of these in person? I know some of it was before no. the pandemic. All were you, over the phone. So, okay. Even before there was Zoom. I mean, you were doing this before or before. Yeah. You, were, yeah, you discovered Zoom, I guess. That's right. right. We invented Zoom Yeah. This
2: time. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I mean, I had been doing it for a long time just over the phone and taping it so i could transcribe it i really wanted to get their voices so you really feel like this is the person talking funny enough the i talked to two people over zoom and actually saw them and one of them was tom york because tom well, i interviewed him during the pandemic and his manager was like he's actually wants to see another human being right now. He hasn't done an interview in eight months. He's actually open. I was like, this will be amazing, Mm -hmm. you know? So that was really cool to actually like sit there face to face with Tom York. And then the other person was Jimmy Iovine who spoke to me about Tom Petty's voice. And we did that over zoom. So that was rad to just sit there and look at Jimmy Iovine and talk to him about one of the greatest in the world. Was that your
1: idea to like, I God, I wish Tom Petty was still around. I I would love to talk to him. So you thought of reaching out to the the producer and or a bandmate or something? Is that what?
2: Yeah, I mean, I wanted certain places in the book not to just be the interviews with the actual singer. But, you know, I'm a giant fan of Prince, you know, or Nina Simone or Janis Joplin well, you know, what were they doing? What was Chris Cornell doing? I was able to talk to band members. I was able to talk to Tom Morello about Chris Cornell or Wendy from the revolution about Prince and all these different people that were band members or engineers or whatever, you know, Eddie Kramer, who engineered all those incredible Hendrix albums. I got to talk to him about Jimi Hendrix. So the list goes on and on. It was cool to kind of have that perspective as well by, you know, to learn about people who weren't, with us anymore
1: we are talking with jason thomas gordon he has talked to many of our favorite singers we have further questions but the time has come to take a break we're going to take a a vocal break and we will be right back
3: hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds
0: And we're back on the What Differences It Make podcast and our guest, Jason Thomas Gordon. Going back to forgetting, and I'm curious about this, going back to forgetting lyrics, whether you're mm-hmm. high or not. Stevie Nicks said after that happening to her once, she decided to use a teleprompter and all artists are seem to be anti-teleprompter.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a couple that are totally cool with teleprompters. Some people would even talk to me about doing autotune. That's not something that you say. In public Mm -hmm. and some of these singers were brave enough to be like yeah i'll tune a vocal if i have to or whatever you know i mean a lot of revelatory interesting things came out of these interviews that i never expected i mean some of these people would start crying or get really emotional about certain things it was just so beautiful i spoke with john Lydon, who we all know is the king of the punks and it was one of the most fascinating sweet generous giving interviews in the book. And he was just so vulnerable with me about all these fears that he had and all these things. It was like, John Lydon, you would, I wouldn't expect that, but here he is just like opening his heart up. It was really, really cool.
0: It was nice to see other sides and Ozzy too. Ozzy was way more articulate.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got a guy like Ozzy talking about how he prays before he goes on stage and here you think of Ozzy as like, the bat biting Hellraiser, you know, and like, he's such a sweet, loving, faithful human being. He's praying to God before he goes on stage. It's just so many cool things like that that you find out about your heroes.
1: You mentioned using a teleprompter, but one person who's just off the cuff and just relaxed on stage, Jeff Tweedy. Who mm-hmm. you you mentioned? It, it was like one of the funniest shows you saw because it's it's he's just telling jokes and very yeah. relaxed, especially in those solo shows. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. If you go see him at Largo or something intimate where it's just him acoustically, yeah, I mean, he is hilarious. You know, Jeff Tweedy is truly remarkable as a musician. His approach as an author, songwriter. I mean, he's just one of those guys that's that's got it all. But yeah, very vulnerable in the interview really funny and definitely i mean you know i one of the examples i brought up to him was i was watching a documentary once where he was doing one of his solo shows and somebody screamed out that one of his songs sucked and it's just such a rude thing for an audience member to do and when he does those intimate shows like that sometimes you run into those type of people so we were just talking about how you deal with that how he tries to avoid that it's just a very fragile fine line you're always walking as sort of the front man he handles it really well because he puts himself in situations where he's incredibly vulnerable and and it's a sensitive place to be and so if somebody's going to yell at you on stage or cause a ruckus and make the show about them it's it's not a great feeling screaming judas did you try and get Dylan? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I tried. I mean, Let's put it this way. Anybody you don't see in the book, I tried to get. No, I, <laughs> I, I get. I mean, if you guys named me your three favorite singers that aren't in the book, chances are I tried to reach out. Bono. Bono was the only person who wrote me a rejection letter personally. He wrote me the most lovely, sweet rejection letter. Class, class, class. And the only reason he couldn't do it? he was in the middle of he was about to release his autobiography he just couldn't do it his publisher wouldn't let him do another book and i get it he had his, his book coming out so maybe if there's a, a second edition of this or we do like a, a revised edition i might be able to snag some of the people that that couldn't do it the first time but bono would be high up there on the list for a lot of reasons We've heard he has
1: FOMO. So uh, yeah. uh yeah. so once he sees this book, he's like, uh, he's
2: probably cursed himself already. Like,
1: why get fuck him? aren't I in yeah. this book? Totally.
2: I, <laughs> I heard he wanted to cancel some shows over it. He's furious right now. He's he's kicking himself. Yeah. <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for an apology letter right. in calligraphy. And then we'll talk, Bono.
0: Maybe he'll just ask you, will you, believe, yeah. will you please yeah. write a whole other book so I can participate? That's right.
1: That's right. Did you frame it? Do you have a framed projection uh, 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 letter?
2: letter? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea, but I haven't I haven't done it yet. I'm going to hold off on doing that because I really do want to interview him. I, I, You know, it sounds cocky, but you mentioned Bob Dylan, you mentioned Bono. I really feel like, and you guys have read a, a lot of these interviews now. I don't know if you've read the whole book, but it's a big book to read, but I honestly feel like the questions that I've asked them, or I would be asking them, they've never been asked before. And their answers would be incredible to hear. And I just would love that opportunity. So we'll see what happens, but it's doing good right now. Love
1: it! I have been, you know, looking through a number of them. You know, I'm kind of skipping around and stuff. But yeah. a lot of people are listing Rod Stewart as their favorite singer. One of the questions of yeah. "Who are your favorite?" Singers? And it's always Rod Stewart. How um, could it not be? I mean, it, it is. I mean, it's like you know, like as I'm screaming, did he talk to Rod Stewart? And sure enough, he did. And I uh, did. Yeah. How did you find Rod? What was he like? You? Um,
2: you know, how I found about Rod was actually my EMT, who handles a ton of singers. And we were talking and I was telling him, you know, uh, that I was doing the book, that I'd been writing this book. And he goes, who don't you have right now that you really want? And, you know, I'm looking at his gold records on his wall. And I was like, well, I don't have Rod. I don't have Stevie Nicks. And he goes, write their managers, tell them that I say they have to do this book. Because I had already reached out a couple of times. And, you know, I mean, half the book said no, by the way. Half the book said no the first time. It, I really had to be persistent. And, you know, Tom York said, no, I can't tell you how many times. With Steve, uh, Willie Nelson, I said no for seven years. I got him on the final year. But yeah, I got really lucky with Rod that he respected his doctor enough that it was doctor's (laughs) orders and uh, he did it and he didn't disappoint. He's, as I say to him, it's like you have the voice that we all want. You know, I mean, that dude opens his voice and just gold pours out in all these years. You know, you think about it from his early, earliest recordings to where he is now this guy hasn't lost a step god bless him
0: yes
1: he mentioned like it was it's just a gift what's your secret i'm just it's just i'm very fortunate as well yeah and
2: you know for all those guys like that you've got the rod stewarts and you've got the smokies and you've got bruce springsteen and you've got these cats that are like i just do it i don't warm up i just get out there and do it or whatever For all those people, even in their interviews, they'll give you some gold from another direction, you know, either about performance or a philosophy about something. So even though they might not be, maybe they might have these God-given abilities, there's still other things that they struggle with that they work on or, you know, they're protective about, you know, all that kind of stuff.
0: A few of the other singers that were mentioned consistently, and I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but Paul Rogers, a lot of people mentioned.
2: Yeah, oh, great. Boy. Well, yeah, which, I mean, which well,
0: I get, but just ran, it felt random almost.
2: <laughs> yeah, but not, I think to rock guys, not, you know, Paul Rogers in the rock world. He's a big one. He's a really, really big one. Kind of like Rod, you know, has that voice. That's just like, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. You know, I tried to get Paul. I tried to get Paul. Didn't happen. It's, it's again, one of those things where it's like, of course, of, of course. Yeah.
0: Robert Plant was one of the obvious, you know, a lot of people also mentioned. Yeah. Robert
2: Plant. Yeah. I mean, the Mount Rushmore, Uh trust me, (laughs) um, keeps me, (laughs) keeps me up nights that one, but Robert Plant, is on that same level where you're just going how and then what he's transformed right. into. Right. Right. That's what know? I was going to
1: mention. Like he he is he's adjusted amazingly to later in his career. I love this, this new stuff.
2: Yes. Yes. Why would you ever go back to Led Zeppelin? Right. I feel
1: the if same way. I'm the same yeah. way with you.
2: Yeah. And a lot of singers in the book talk about that. Stevie Nicks, Ann Wilson, there's a lot, you know, women love Robert Plant and are very influenced by Robert, which is awesome to see too. You have to change with your instrument. This is an instrument that changes with time. It's the only one that does that. Mm -hmm. You know, the the guitars and drums, all that stuff, it doesn't really change with time. Not notice, like, you know, that's... Not in the same way, the, the, the voice, the human voice is an instrument that evolves with time to be able to, as so many people have in this book, and it's such a big thing we talk about. You know, one of my questions towards the end is what's changed the most about your voice since you started to now? these the singers are, you know, faced with that question and they have to look inside and go, how has my voice changed from when I started to now? And there's so many of them where it's like, thank God it's changed. It's so much more beautiful or rich now. I mean, Getty Lee will tell you, you know, Getty Lee makes fun of himself. He's like, I was a screaming Mimi when we first started. But now look how round and warm and rich Getty Lee's voice is. I love the later Rush stuff better than the earlier Rush stuff because of his voice. Robert Plant's the he- same way. It's it, it, not in the same way in the sense of like, Obviously, what he did earlier was incredible with Zeppelin. I'm not diminishing that. That, that would be uh, foolish. How he's followed it and been able to go, no, 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 no. This is what my voice is doing now, so I'm taking it here. That's just amazing.
1: Most people's registers goes go lower. Wasn't it Bruce Springsteen said he can hit falsetto notes now or his voice is getting higher? It sounded yeah. weird to me. Like, did I read that correct? I had to read it again. Like, yeah.
2: yeah, he found a falsetto later in life. If you listen to Lift Me Up, if you listen, it's a, it's a song, it's a rare song, but if you'll find it, it's on, it might be on one of the best of records now or something, but it was on a soundtrack. Lift Me Up, if you listen to that, I mean, so great that falsetto that he's got i mm-hmm. people lose it later in life michael mcdonald talks about how he started losing his falsetto and he had to make adjustments and for a guy like that that's a scary thing Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to see how he kind of pivoted and what he what he could do to make make it work for himself
0: you were pretty intimately familiar with the music of Mm. most of the artists that you spoke to and you you went for some stuff that was maybe a little bit more obscure you talked to simon laban my man (laughs) my man. And you brought up Dancophobia. Ah, do you know that song? forgotten about yeah so now of course it's uh, i just added it to a playlist ah, <laughs> yes
2: that's uh, he would be so stoked to hear that that's great
0: yeah that's great he seems so great did you know him before you talked to him
2: i didn't no i mean it's what's what's funny is like once i got off with the phone with them It felt like we were best friends. You know what I mean? It was like, it was so intimate. These conversations are really intimate. And I think that was part of it is that not only was I asking questions that they had never been asked before, but then I am coming from a place of being a music fan. Somebody in a review compared me to Wayne from Wayne's World and I just started laughing because I'm like, I am Wayne from so Wayne's serious, World. Man. What would you do if you got the chance to, I'm not going to sit there and you know play it cool. <laughs> what, what's, who wants to play it cool? There's nothing cool about right. playing it cool. It's like, no way, man. I got the chance to ask these people anything I want. I've got them <laughs> captive on the no fucking way. I'm going for it. You know, I mean, and that's in, talking about phobia at Simon. It's like I was I was making fun of him and saying you guys were wrong not to release that as a single like you guys fucked up. And he, he took agreed the- with you. Yes, he did. And he was like, thank you for mentioning that song. I mean, that song is such a jam, but to your question, I'm a music fan. I'm a fanatic. I'm a musician. This is like my life. This is, I love this. If I have the chance to ask singers about stuff that I care about, I'm going to ask them those questions. Of course, you know, you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence before you talk to some. I'm not winging it, but I'm also asking them questions that I've always wanted to ask them as a fan or highlight certain songs that I'm a giant fan of that, that maybe nobody else ever talks about with them. That's part of the fun. And I've seen now on social media or through you know direct messages or in reviews and stuff like that um, from people that read the book, that they're getting turned on to stuff that they didn't know of before. And I've had friends call me and be like, what? I just got into Nico Case or I just got into King's X. I'd never heard of King's X or Spoon and, you know, bands like Spoon, like bands that, that are amazing that maybe aren't household names. And then by being kind of among all these other people in the book, you find a song that you love or a band you love that's part of it. I love
1: that. Which leads me to this, my favorite part of this book that, so far that I've read. You're talking to Robert Smith of The Cure and you're uh-huh. asking about a, a great performance and you and you mentioned the song, I Don't Know What's Going On. And right. then he repeats that. Oh yeah, I had a good performance and I know what's going on. And you're like, that's <laughs> yeah. what I just said. And you, <laughs> yeah. But you just put, but you put that in the book, which I thought was hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wanted the book to be fun. You know, I mean, I want it to be a conversation between two people and it should be a good time. Who wants to read a book? Bar- There's a lot of pages in this book. It's over 500 pages. So you don't want people's eyes to glaze over and and to have it be some like technical, boring manual. Let's show everybody's personalities. Let's have a good time with it. Like we're having a good time on the phone. Why would it not read that way? But yeah, there were instances like that where I would say, you know, what my favorite song was or something like that. And then the artist would say, like, you know, that's my favorite song. Because I would ask each artist what their favorite vocal performance of their own was as well. I think in in uh, Robert's case, he was talking about a song that was like songs that are really high to sing. And so I mentioned, I don't know what's going on as being one of them. And he said like that, you know, <laughs> like, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, exactly. You know, <laughs> so there were a lot of like little moments like that, where you're just on the same wavelength. It's cool. Who does t- tea and pepper? That which just sounds sort of oh, yeah. shocking to
1: me. Springsteen. It was Springsteen.
2: Like what Yeah, is- he said, he said he puts pepper, er, pepper in water and drinks it. And that helps his voice sometimes when it's getting a little gnarly. It's crazy. I mean, there's so many little things in this, in the, in this, in all these interviews where, I mean, I haven't put all this stuff to use yet. So <laughs> I'm stoked as the singer of my band to now go out there and have this book for myself and that I can now learn from everybody. You know, when I was in the process, I was just so laser focused on the process. But now it's like, Okay, man, here's the collection of advice. You got to start putting this advice to use. You know, you get to go through and pick out all these different little things that may work for you and see how they do for you. So the Springsteen's thing about the pepper, we'll see. You're it gonna, works for you're him. Go,
1: you're going to try it. How did, <laughs> yeah, we're oh, back. All right. How did you rope in Bruce and how and
2: what type of can we see the dance you did when you when he said Yes. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even a dance as much as it was like a keeling over in, you know, in prayer to God, just in thanks. Just like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you.
4: Thank you. I can believe.
2: It. One of my best friends, a guy named Dave Rose, who actually shot two of Springsteen's album covers and was his photographer for like 10 years. So they're incredibly close. And I got to meet Bruce in person when he was on Broadway. Dave called me and said, Hey man. I got you a hotel room and tickets. Get out here. You're going to meet Bruce. And I I mean, he's just one of the dearest people in my life and and has been there for St. Jude over the years, just in the most amazing ways. And so I called Dave and I was like, buddy, (laughs) I need you. He made a call and it worked itself out. Yeah, I and mean, it took a second, but it 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 worked itself out. I was really lucky.
1: Well, they always say never meet your idols. Yeah, I'll tell you the coolest
2: thing. Yeah, please do. That's all I'm asking. Okay, okay, <laughs> Dave needs <laughs> because I, because right. I'll say this: everybody I interviewed in that book is a hero in in some way, shape, or form. No matter what, I mean, it's just that's why I asked them to be in the book, and they're they're a hero of mine for many many reasons. Not just the voice. So anytime I interviewed anybody, it was like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. This is insane, but it just kept happening. And I was just like, I'm taking this, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. But with Bruce, obviously huge deal, you know, he's at the top, you know, he's Bruce Springsteen, not only the voice, but the endurance in his performances and how he can do that night after night after night and seems to be superhuman. So it's a big deal to interview Bruce Springsteen. And I get on the phone with him. We start talking. It's all going good. He's cool. You know, he's laid back. He's, he's not impressed by me, you know, but he's just, just chilling out. And then I said, uh, or he said we were talking about his early influences, like from the bar band days. He goes, Oh, you know, there's another guy I love the guy from the, from the Moby grape. What was that guy's name? Moby grape. And then he's like, oh, hold on, this is going hold on, hold on, to drive me crazy. And he like gets off the phone for two seconds, he comes back, and he's clearly got his computer. And he's like, "Ah, oh, let's see, let's see, we'll oh, be great, but let's see. And he's just, now I'm hanging out with Bruce Springsteen while he's just on his computer Googling. You're looking a, up who the singer of Moby Grape is. You're with old man
1: Springsteen who's looking up, you know, like, yeah, you know, hey, like
2: who the, yeah. who was going on? What's <laughs> <Yeah>. happening? <laughs> so it's not like interviewer subject, you know, you're, you're interviewing, you're getting the answer back. It's like, Oh, we're hanging out now at home. You mm. know I mean? It was that kind of thing. And th- that those little intangible things, it's so stupid. Of course, we're all human. Of course, Bruce Springsteen is probably, a, a dick on some days you, 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 know, on, you meet him or moody some days, just like we all are. You know what I mean? It's like, they're not superheroes. They're just really people that you admire and are great at what they do, but somehow you lose that and you still idolize them. And when those little, mu- little human moments happen, they're like amplified somehow, you know? So when I was talking to Tom York and his cat was outside, and he's like, oh, hold on, you know, he's like, got to let his cat in, and then he says to his cat, "Don't just stand there, you know." And then it lets the cat in, and then now the cat's on his lap, and he's playing with the cat. And you're like, Tom oh, York's playing with his cat. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a weird. They're human. It's just a, They're yeah, just like, like us so celebrities. celebrities. Yeah, it's they're just like us. <laughs> yeah, <it's> weekly. <laughs> they got smoothies. Yeah, I know it's it's ridiculous, but. There were definitely little moments like that. Uh, Brian, jo- I was interviewing Brian Johnson from ACDC, and at one point he's like, "Hey man," he's like, oh, "Hold on a second he's like, "You know, let me call you right back. Let me call you right back." He calls. We've already been on, been on the phone for an hour and a half. He calls me back, and now he's like slurping porridge and talking <laughs> to me for like the last half an hour of the interview. And he's like slurping, and in between he's answering questions and laughing. And I'm like, "This is insane." <laughs> Brian Johnson eating porridge. Or whatever he was gulping on. It was just like, you know what I mean? It's just so strange because it feels like you're hanging out with Brian Johnson, which should never happen in a million years. Right. You know, it's great.
0: Yeah. You know, you asked the artists about their warm-ups, and there were some particularly funny ones, like Joan Jett, Squeaky Door, and Perry Farrell, uh, the Kermit.
2: Yeah, yeah. Did they Karen. do
0: these for you? Did Did they demonstrate oh. this for you on the phone? Oh,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully everybody signs off on a podcast eventually, and we can get some of the some of this out there to people. Uh, we'll see what happens. So many singers were singing, breaking into song, showing me their warm ups. You know, you know, saying them out loud. Perry had me singing like Kermit. <laughs> you know, it was just incredible. And so it's like, okay, next show, do I try to warm up like Kermit the Frog and see how I sing that night? You know. So now you have all these. Again, you're picking and choosing. Okay, that didn't really work for me. Well, maybe I'll try the Perry Farrell, Kermit the Frog apo- approach and see if that works for me.
0: And the squeaky door, try this. The squeaky
2: spin. door, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Joan Jet does a little squeaky door thing. She says she does on stage, and you know she's having trouble on stage. She'll just do it and turn away from the mic and make this sound like a squeaky door and stick her tongue out and. She's like, I don't care if it looks stupid. That's what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> I found myself with some of the exercises. I do not sing in any uh, way. <laughs> right. This is pretty much the only way I use my voice, but I found myself trying some of the exercises.
2: Right, right. Can't hurt. Can't hurt. Here you are doing your thing. You're using your voice all day, you know. Have to, yeah.
1: Before, like our 15 minutes before, we'll do our Kermit before we get yeah. out with our guests. I'm a little
2: offended you didn't before this episode. Yeah. I mean, it I, killed you. I,
1: that's true. We had the we had the blueprint. Why didn't we use it? Yeah. Yeah, Something to be said for for seeing that these artists that are you know yeah. they're aging. Yeah. Like, but to be in the same room now, you yeah. know, we just be thankful that we can get to see these performers now. Still, like, absolutely. We still bring it's, it's
2: yeah, it's more important now than ever. You know, more important now than ever because because we're not going to have these guys mm-hmm. much longer. You know, we're watching. Prince died and people we didn't expect Tom Petty is not supposed to be dead right now. Tom Petty was supposed to have Johnny Cash's career and be doing that at that age. And it's just crushing. So we, you gotta, you gotta enjoy every live show you can. Sure.
0: David Bowie, which was another common thread with the, with the artists, uh, the artists that you spoke to.
2: You know what? David Bowie was the common thread. I don't know if there was an artist that didn't mention David Bowie. I mean, David Bowie is mentioned in this book more than I am, and I was the guy interviewing people. I mean, he is everywhere in this book. He, he, everyone feels him. You know, I mean, it, it, we all love him. We all admire him. And it wasn't again a voice that was doing anything other than being himself. And it was just his soul coming out of his voice. You know, he couldn't do what Mariah Carey does, but Mariah Carey can't do what he does. You
0: know, okay. I realize we're asking you about all these artists that you didn't that that, that didn't no, but, that but chose I, not to participate. But
2: I do want to say I interviewed Nile Rogers about David Bowie. Yes. So yes,
1: yeah. Who, yeah, yeah. You could no, talk I'm to Niall just... about a lot of different artists. Ugh. Yeah, David oh, yeah. Bowie. <laughs> well, of course, or yeah, or perfect. just focus on that, Bowie. That's yeah, that's the best choice. Yes, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm so thrilled that you were able to bring this book to us. This is it's, it's really it's great. It's an amazing document now that we have. I, yeah. I, I was just telling Holly, like, uh, this is going to be a book that I can go back to and look a at. A reference. Yeah, like a reference yeah. of, like, okay, was this guy with. All right. Besides a book, you've, it, it, you always mention King size. Tell me about King yeah. Size.
4: Tell me about it
1: because I listened to a little bit. It reminded me a little bit of the Hives uh, and the, you know like this oh. garage, little garage rock going on there. What? Tell me. Tell me about the singer of King Size. I haven't
2: heard much about him. Well, the singer of King Size isn't as cool as the drummer of King Size. I tell you that. King Size is my rock and roll band which is the reason that any of this started to begin with. You know, I was the drummer. And uh, when I became the singer, it was just insane. And I really, my guitar player and I have been, you know, best friends for 30 years and love each other to death. And we started playing music together and something happened. And we just, this (laughs) chemistry came out of us. I love that you said the hives. I'll take that. Okay, We have so many different types of sounds to us. You know, there's EPs we have where we're pretty melancholy and sparse and sort of atmospheric and sad. And then there's this other stuff when we're doing the rock stuff that is kind of garage rock and and punkier. Our new record is called El Secundo. I'm really proud of it. I think it's a great record. I think my voice is so much better on this album than it's ever been. And I attribute that to this book and just the osmosis of interviewing everybody and finding out these little things I could do to better myself in the studio on this one. And I think it shows I wasn't that great a singer early on. It was a lot of character and and personality and kind of like, I'm just going for it. Cause I don't really give a shit. I'm just going to like do whatever I can do, but I cringe at some of it, you know, which was nice when I'm interviewing people that, feel the same way you know and you know you've got guys with the most beautiful voices in the world or girls with the most beautiful voices in the world talking about how they cringe when they hear their stuff now and so it's nice to kind of be at another place and i hope the record after this i'm even better you know you just want to keep digging in and, and finding ways to be better at what you do i love the band i'm excited about the record and i'm really happy that i got the chance to interview everybody before we started recording
1: <laughs> all right one question i have do you have a favorite vocal performance you're really proud of
0: that's uh, a good one dave thank
1: you it just came to me
0: god you're
2: good
1: at this yeah um never been asked that question but let's get um something we can play maybe we'll insert it into the podcast so let's oh buddy oh Um, buddy
2: we have a song called gold on our um on a, a ep called no gold and um it's a it's not one of the rock songs it's a it's a ballad but um it's like kind of a sea shanty kind of a ballad i don't know where it came from it just came out of me one night and got with carrie our guitar player and and sat there and we i sung him all the melodies i sung like the words just came and something happened i don't know i just it was there and we wrote this tune and it was one of those things where like i was saying we have so many different styles that we can bring to a record that it's sort of like architecture. When you make an album, it's like you want to find the right home for all the songs to live in. And I think we've gotten better with that over time. Whereas in the beginning, we were a bit too maybe eclectic for a band that's not Queen. And it just was like, you know what? We got to get better at the actual making of albums, you know, and really focus in on what the sound is. So for No Gold, It was really we held on to that song forever this tune and just waited until we made this we had enough kind of melancholy songs to put together and we made this double ep Uh, um and so one's called no gold and the other one's called silver statues and this one song it just had sort of a magic because it wasn't really i wasn't really thinking and it just all kind of came out and was spur of the moment look what the sea washed in.
4: I don't wanna see my face again. The waters turned to mud. These days I've been
2: so far up. All for the love. The interesting thing about it is years later after we'd already recorded this song we hadn't released it yet it just been sitting there waiting for the right record to put it on mm-hmm. and i was talking to some woman who's a psychic and she was talking to me about path lives and all this stuff which i don't even know if i believe in um but she started talking to me and she goes she goes you know i didn't know her by the way this was a total stranger And she goes, you know, you have a sadness about you. And she goes, you've had a sadness about you your whole life. You've always been kind of sad. Is that true? And I go, yeah. And she goes, well, I think it's because in your past life you were the captain of a ship and a lot of the crew died under your command. And this song gold is about the captain of a ship whose crew dies under his command. And the song is a, like a letter of an apolo- apology to the wives of the men who died and the children. It's just wild. That song came out of me like that, and then years later, this woman said it. So that song's always kind of held a special place in my heart.:
0: wow. That's a great story, especially for not having planned ahead.:
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. OK, so
0: you've
1: got this book out. Where can we find this?
2: Well, go to Barnes & Noble. You can actually go to the bookstore, which would be like going to a record store and supporting your local bookstores would be awesome. Anywhere where books are sold. You can find us at thesingerstalk.com. It would be probably the best place. You can join up with Music Gives there and see what we're doing for the kids. And if you want to find King Size, you can find us there. So it's kind of got it all.
1: Nice. Are you going to be playing around town to support this El Segundo? Nice. Is it Elsa? Se- How do you say this album? You, it's not El Segundo like the city you said it somewhere. El, yeah,
2: El Segundo like like the second. Okay. It's uh, two different languages because it sounds like right now we're on we're talking in two different languages to each other and living on two different planets. So it's sort of a nod to that, and uh, it's also our second album, full length album. And it's only two of us, you know, it's Carrie plays bass and guitar and I play drums and vocals. So it's a nod to that as well. And uh, yeah, I've got some vocal performances on there that I'm ha- really happy with and can't believe that it's me coming from where I started. Yeah, I'm giving myself a little, yeah, a, little, a little nod and respect for, I'm sorry, yeah. for how great. for how far uh, I've come. I want to get better. I got to get better.
0: Well, congratulations. Hopefully we can see you play live around. I hope so.
1: Yeah, I heard it takes two to make the dream come true, is what someone <laughs> would say. It takes two, baby. Thank you so much. I'm sure we'll see you around playing around town somewhere. Yeah, that'd
2: be great. I'll keep you guys posted for okay. sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank I- you, guys. It means a lot to me that you had me on.
1: All right, Holly, what a mission. Seven years compiling all these interviews. It's wonderful. He kept his eye on the ball, clearly, and it's great for us. And you mentioned the charity. Why don't you, that all the proceeds go to the charity. Mention that one more time for us.
0: So it will go to Music Gives to St. Jude Kids, which benefits St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. The hospital started by his grandfather, Danny Thomas, in 1962. As I mentioned to Jason. I started doing some of the exercises as I was reading through the book. Can't start,
1: hurt. Are we going to start doing our squeaky door exercise? Let's our Kermit the Frog. Our Kermit the Frog. Very good. Okay. Perry Farrell. All right. We'll have to start doing that. <laughs> Maybe I'll sign. Yeah, we're going to sign our warm downs. As we warm down on the What Difference does It Make podcast, where would our listeners find further information?
0: Please find us on social media at WDDIM Podcast and on YouTube at What Difference Doesn't Make podcast.
1: We also have a great newsletter. It comes out monthly and you can sign up at WDDiMPodcast.com and you'll see the whole list of podcast episodes that you may have missed. Please subscribe if you like, we'd love to have you.
0: Thank you to Permuted Press and to Pantheon Podcasts. We are very happy to be Pantheon Podcast family members and please support St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. I
1: wholeheartedly agree. We have new episodes every Friday. So until then, this is
0: Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.
3: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football